Uh, there's an article this week that made the rounds uh, as an, an article from The Atlantic. It's entitled, The Evangelical Church is Breaking Apart. Subtitled, Christians Must Reclaim Jesus from His Church. Maybe you read it, maybe you saw it. I posted it in our resources channel. By the way, we have a resources channel in Slack where we post stuff like that. But after like the fifth person sent it to me, I was like, okay, I should probably read this. And it's, it's another attempt to kind of make sense of what's happening right now in the evangelical church in America in this particular moment of history. And um, by all regards, I think it's a very good account, uh, an understanding of it. I highly commit it to you. But something in particular that stood out to me uh, in this article is a word that the author used to describe the evangelical church in this moment. And that word is unrooted. Unrooted. He writes, they are unrooted and therefore susceptible to political idolization, fanatical ideas, and conspiracy theories. And of course, that word stood out to me because, as you know, our current preaching series is entitled Rooted, as we preach our way through the Apostles' Creed. And it's interesting, the author of this article goes on to kind of make a better rationale for studying creeds and catechisms of the church than, than I could ever make. I, I thought about just reading it to you. But he says, basically helps us understand that you and I, we are being catechized by something every day of our life. <laughs> there are voices that are trying to tell you what matters and to try, trying to tell you what views you should take about what matters. He says, we have multiple technologies and platforms that are catechizing us. as television, uh, radio, Facebook, Twitter, and podcast among them. And we subject ourselves to its catechesis all day long, every single day, hour after hour after hour. He says, by comparison, even if you are receiving catechesis from the church, it's probably less than an hour a week, by comparison. And so he, the author quotes Alan Jacobs, who says, so if people are getting one kind of catechesis for half an hour per week and another for dozens of hours per week, which one do you think will win out? And Jacobs continues, this is true both of the Christian left and the Christian right. People come to believe what they are most thoroughly and intensively catechized to believe. And that catechesis comes not from the churches, but from the media they consume, or rather, the media that consume them. The churches have barely better than a snowball's chance in hell of shaping most people's lives. Well, that's strong. <laughs> but it's provocative. It, I, I don't know if it's you, but it speaks to me. And this is why, like, we're, we're trying. We're doing our best. We're studying the Heidelberg Catechism in our men's and women's study group. It's why we're preaching through the Apostles' Creed this fall, so that our lives have le at least a chance, at least a chance of being shaped more by the eternal truths of Scripture than by the momentary opinions of the culture, whether on the left or the right, so that we can be rooted something so much bigger than ourselves, the truths of the gospel that have stood the test of time, that have been confessed throughout the ages and even throughout the world, even today. Because, friends, as the article says, if we are unrooted from the story, then we are susceptible to some other story coming in and hijacking Christianity from its own integrity. So these 30 minutes that we're going to give to reading and preaching God's word, it, it may be a snowball's chance in hell. But maybe, just maybe, it could be like a little bit of leaven that we put into the dough of our lives. That maybe it can work its way and spread its way through the whole loaf. Today, I want to talk about in the creed, 
what it means to confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. If the advent of 24-7 cable news channels changed the world, maybe for the worse, how can the advent of the 24-7 presence of God in our lives, how could it change it for the better? That's what I want to talk about. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read about who he is, his person, his work from the Gospel of John. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? This is John 14, verses 15 to 26. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray together for the preaching of God's word. We do pray to you, O Holy Spirit. You're the one who authored these words we just read. You were the one who makes dead hearts come alive. You were the one that gives us eyes to see and that we could see and understand the truths of the scripture. And so we appropriately pause and we ask for your help, for your illumination. And I especially ask for myself, that, for the, your help, that I would proclaim not myself, but Jesus Christ as Lord and myself as a servant for Jesus' sake. I pray that the God who said, let light shine out of darkness would shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. You should be seated. There's an old joke that goes like this. One day the Trinity got together to discuss where they wanted to go on vacation. That's not actual how it works, you know, they're three and one, one. Anyway, for the sake of the joke, they got together to discuss where they should go on vacation. God the Father said, I want to go to the mountains because they reflect my own majesty and power. And God the Son said, I want to go back to my old stomping grounds in Palestine where I spent most of my earthly life. And lastly, God the Holy Spirit said, I want to go to a Presbyterian church because I'd like to visit someplace I've never been before. It's true. No, it's not. If you've been around the church, you know that there, there are some parts of the church that are all about the Holy Spirit. They're enthralled by his presence. They're fascinated by his gifts. They long for him to do spectacular things among them, big things only he can do. They actually talk about the Spirit a lot. There's like an emotional connection to him. They, they say he speaks to them, or at least they feel him guiding them. 
And if you go to other parts of the church, it sometimes seems like they barely know that he exists, if we're honest. And maybe those people are skeptical, maybe about that other part of the church. Maybe they've seen or experienced abuses done in the name of the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes they pendulum swing to the other side, right? Don't give me emotions, give me truth. Emotions are fickle. Truth is solid, it's steadfast, it's trustworthy. And give me more head knowledge than, than heart feelings. Give me God at work in the ordinary. That's what I want. Sometimes they don't really even really expect God to do much beyond their own expectations. As you can probably tell by my joke, Presbyterians tend to be in the former, in, in the latter group. I certainly am by, by my own admission, even though I grew up in the former. And today I want to try to navigate through all those weeds of confusion and even some of the abuses. And I want us to seek clarity on and get comfort from what it means when Christians confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So first of all, what does it mean to say I believe in the Holy Spirit? It means that I believe that the Holy Spirit is God. That's what you're saying. You can tell the creed certainly has a Trinitarian arrangement. It's confessing our trust in God the Father first, the Creator, and then God the Son, the Rescuer, and now we move on to God the Spirit, the Recreator. One commentator I read this week says, I love this, he says, the Holy Spirit is the executive of the Godhead. He's the one who executes the plan of the Father. He's the one who applies the work of the Son. He's the one that makes things happen. He's God in action. In fact, brothers and sisters, you could not even say, I believe in God the Father. You could not say, I believe in Jesus Christ's only Son, our Lord, without the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You cannot even believe the gospel without the Holy Spirit. And now everything that's going to flow from here in this creed, everything that's next, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, all of that is only possible by the Holy Spirit. This is why the Spirit sits right here as the fountainhead to everything else that follows. Now friends, the creed in this arrangement is making clear what, what the scriptures make clear, which is that the Holy Spirit is God. He's eternal. He's equal with the Father and with the Son. Think about he's on par with them in the baptismal formula in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus warns in the Gospels about the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, Friends, you can only commit blasphemy against someone who is God. The Apostle Paul says that the church is like a temple where the Holy Spirit dwells, and historically, only God dwells within the temple. You even see it right here in our passage that we read in verse 16. Jesus says he's going to give us another helper. Now, there are two ways in Greek that John could have said this, either a hetero helper, that is, a helper that is different from the first, or an allos helper, that is, a helper that is just like the first. And John uses allos, meaning that just like our first helper, Jesus is God, so is the second helper, the Holy Spirit. He is a divine helper, just like the first. And notice also that I keep saying he the Spirit is a he 
not an it. He's a person, not a force. Notice all the pronouns in our passage today are he. The Spirit is a person of the Godhead. Doesn't mean he's gendered. means that's who he's chosen to reveal himself as. The theologian John Stott says all the requirements of personhood are met in the Spirit. Emotions, mind, and will. Think about it. He has emotions. He can be grieved, as in Ephesians 4.30. He has a mind that can be searched, as in Romans 8.27. He distributes gifts to the church as he chooses, as he wills, as in 1 Corinthians 12.11. He's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead who has been at work from all eternity, kind of hiding behind the scenes. He was there in the beginning, hovering over the waters, creating with God. He spoke through the prophets of the Old Testament. He empowered God's servants of old, like King David. He conceived Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He empowered the life and ministry of Jesus. He is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. He is the gift given to every Christian, giving them new life and power to live as a new creature. So friends, I give all that background just to say the starting point to I believe in the Holy Spirit is saying I believe that he is God and therefore I will relate to him as such. What does it mean to relate to the Spirit as God? It means that he is deserving of our worship right alongside the Father and the Son. He has a right to our worship, although he has been called the shy member of the Trinity or the self-effacing member of the Godhead who loves to just shine the spotlight on Jesus. Don't look at me, look at him. Look at the glories and the wonders of who he is. Still, he is worthy of our praise and our adoration as a person. So it's worth asking, how much time do you actually spend worshiping the Holy Spirit, praising him for his unique person and for his work in your life? What does it mean to relate to the Spirit as a person? One commentator put it this way, I love this. He says, if you have an impersonal understanding of the Spirit, if you believe he is merely a force in the universe, then you're going to relate to the Spirit in a mechanical way, perhaps like the Jedi in Star Wars. If you tap into the force in the right way, you can bend its power to your will. But this is not the Christian understanding of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is a person, our interaction with Him is not about pushing the right buttons or changing the environmental conditions. Belief in the Holy Spirit means growing a relationship with a person. It's about getting to know someone. So that over time, you begin to think like He thinks, to feel like He feels, to act like He acts. That's our starting point. If the Spirit is a person, and if that person is God, then to neglect Him is to neglect God. To ignore him is to ignore God. Well, on the flip side, to honor him, to worship him, to seek him, is also to seek God. So what does it mean that we believe in the Holy Spirit? It means we believe he is God. But secondly, to confess I believe in the Holy Spirit is to say I believe that I am not alone. I believe I am not alone. This is actually the major context going on in John chapter 14. It's the impending loneliness of the disciples. You've got to put yourself in, in their shoes. 
You've been following Jesus for three years of your life. You're following him around all over Palestine, watching him teach and do miracles and do amazing things. And through many fits and starts, you've come to believe that he really is God's Messiah. He's here to bring the kingdom of God. And now, here at the beginning of this chapter, John 14, he drops a bombshell on you and he tells you that he's leaving. He's going away. And understandably, the disciples are flabbergasted. Like, what do you mean you're going away? This mission has just gotten started. We're, this can't be the plan. My friends, if you listen underneath their questions to the subtext, their hearts are saying, Jesus, please don't leave us alone. Jesus, please don't abandon us. We don't know what to do without you. How are we supposed to carry on without you? Please don't leave. So Jesus begins to explain to them how it's actually better for them if he goes away. Defies common sense, but he says, you're actually going to do greater works because I'm going to the Father. He says it directly in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is amazing. What makes it advantageous, actually, that Jesus is no longer here walking around the earth is because he is going to, he has went and sent this Holy Spirit to them and to us. In other words, far from leaving them alone, he is actually more present and closer to them than he's ever been before because he's actually taking up residence to dwell within them. So friends, this is what makes the Holy Spirit such a game changer. See, before, the Spirit of God either dwelt in special holy places like the temple or he dwelt in special holy people like prophets and kings and Jesus to empower their work. But now... He is going to dwell not just with extra special people, but with all his people. Not just dwell with them, but dwell within them. Now, Jesus says, amazingly, we are the temple where God dwells by the Holy Spirit. As listen to how Jesus comforts these disciples who are, who are terrified of being left alone. Verse 16, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. He will never leave. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 20, here's how it's going to work. I am in my father, you are in me, and I will be in you. And better yet, verse 23, we, my father and I, will come and we will make our home with you by the Holy Spirit. The biblical scholar N.T. Wright uh, says, says this. He, he says, All people often say, if only we'd have been there when Jesus was around. <laughs> it would have been so much easier. He would have explained everything to us. He would have told us what to do. N.T. Wright says, it's a common perception, but it's wrong. In fact, Jesus has promised it will be easier, not harder. His people will be able to do things they couldn't do when he was physically present. As a result of the promised spirit, the spirit of Jesus himself, Christians now, remarkably, though it may seem, are in a better situation than even, even than the followers of Jesus during his lifetime. Have you ever thought about that? You have it better than them. Listen, brothers and sisters, uh, Jesus will not leave you as orphans. I don't care whoever else is left from your life. 
Jesus will never leave. He is closer to you now than he has ever been before because he's actually taken up residence within you. And so whether you feel this or not, it is true. With the gift of faith comes the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the pouring out of which is pictured in your baptism. God is with you. And you are never alone, ever. He is with you, specifically, our text says in verse 16 and in verse 26, as the helper. It's one of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. The Greek word is parakaleo. It's often translated helper or comforter or counselor or even advocate. Para means to come alongside. Kaleo means to declare. So the Holy Spirit is the advocate who comes alongside you and declares God's truth to you. A commentator I read this week takes a translation of Pericaleo that I love. He settled on the true friend. Because he says, if many of us were asked what the name we would give to the person who stepped in for us in an emergency situation who was present with us, I think we would be most apt to call that person the true friend. See, like a true friend, he tells us the truth about our sin. He confronts us. He convicts us. That stab in your conscience, that's your true friend calling you out. But also, like a true friend, he tells you the truth about your Savior. That's what the Apostle Paul is picking up on in Romans 8. We read it for our words of encouragement. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, when we start to live like orphans again, here comes the Spirit, comes alongside us, declares the truth of the gospel to us that you are, in fact, a beloved children of God. When you start to condemn yourself based on the evidence of your life, he comes and he advocates for you, to you, that you are indeed a child of God, based on the evidence of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. See, to confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit is to confess, I believe that I am not alone because my helper is with me forever. Thirdly and lastly, to confess I believe in the Holy Spirit is to say I believe that I have the capacity to change. I believe that I have the capacity to change. Simply put, the Holy Spirit is the power source for the Christian life. Jesus says in Acts 8, 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. You see, the Spirit not only witnesses to us that we are God's children, but he also witnesses through us to the world. He empowers our witness to the world in what we say and in what we do. Right, it's no accident that in this chapter that we you heard it over and over again, right? All this talk about loving God and keeping his commandments. And all of that is paired right alongside the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he promises the Holy Spirit as if to say, and the only way you're going to love me and to keep my commandments is with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's no accident that when Judas, not Iscariot, I love that part. It's like Judas was standing by. He's like, can you put not Iscariot next to that? So, so everybody knows. Anyway, a.k.a. good Judas, he says in verse 22, so how are we going to tell the whole world what this little group of disciples already knows, that you are in fact the Messiah? 
You manifested yourself to us. How are we going to manifest you to the whole world? He's asking Jesus, how are we going to take this global? You know what Jesus' answer is? As you love me and keep my commandments. In other words, here's the grand plan, Judas, not Iscariot. The Spirit is going to move into your heart. He's going to give you power to love and obey me, and that's how the world is going to see me, through you. They're my people. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That's mind-blowing. The same Spirit that has the power to raise Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. And that means change is always possible. You always have the capacity to change, to grow in your love and your obedience to God for the sake of the world. Listen, it may not be dramatic. It may not be fast. It, it, it will never be complete. But little by little, as the Spirit moves you to behold the, the glory of Christ, you will be transformed to greater degrees of glory, just as our words of entrance said today. That's the Spirit. He's the power. He's the energy. He's the invisible force. It's like the wind that transforms you and the whole world. So friends, it turns out that the Holy Spirit is um, quite essential and the answer to so many of our modern challenges, to our fear. He says, fear not, for I am with you. To our loneliness, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. To our hopelessness, because Christ in you is the hope of glory. To our apathy, Christ in you is the power for a new life. And this means that absolutely everything we possess as a Christian is because the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of it, all is gift. Every virtue we possess, every victory we've won, every thought of holiness, every spiritual gift. Listen, if there's any love in us, if there's any fruit of the Spirit, if there's any knowledge of God, if there's any unity in the church, it's only because of the work of the Spirit. All is gift. So that like the Holy Spirit, we can deflect the attention away from ourselves and give all the glory to Christ. I'm sure you've heard by now of the, the great supply chain disruption currently going on in the U.S., if you're keeping up with the news. In the port of Savannah alone, there are 80,000 shipping containers, which is more than 50% of the usual. They're like running out of places to put them, and they're stacking them so high you can't get to the bottom ones. And the executive director of the Georgia Ports Authority broke it down to a simple explanation of why this is happening. Ready for it? They're not coming to get their freight. <laughs> People aren't coming to get their freight. Businesses aren't coming to get their freight. So let me ask you, is there, is there a great supply chain disruption in the church because we are ignoring the Holy Spirit, who is our supply chain? Could the same be said of you? You're not coming to get your freight of all the riches that are yours in Christ Jesus because you're neglecting the, pers the person of the Holy Spirit. Listen, they are yours. You don't have to earn them. They belong to you already by Christ. They've been purchased by him. So come and get them through communion with the Holy Spirit. Listen to him. 
Read his words in Holy Scripture. Talk to him like he's a person. Actually ask him for help and strength that you need. Don't ignore the promptings in your heart, but act on them. And give him credit for everything that is good in your life. It's said of the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon that every time he walked up to the pulpit, with every step he would say to himself, I believe in the Holy Spirit. As a way to, I tried it today. Maybe it worked. I don't know. As a way to remind himself where the true source of the Christian life is, the true power. So I wonder what that would look like in our lives if we did the same. With each new morning, if we said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. With each new trial, with each new stumble, in every situation that feels hopeless, to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, God with us, God within us. And therefore, I believe I am not alone. And I believe that change is always possible. And let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Oh, Lord, we do say with our lips almost each and every week here that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And so now we ask that you would help our unbelief. Help us to see us, see him for who he is, as God, as a person to relate to. Teach us what it means. Lord, it may not be spectacular, it may not be extraordinary, but thank you for this precious gift. That you are nearer to us than you've ever been, and you are at work in us and in all places at all times. Lord, pierce our loneliness with your presence. Pierce our apathy with your power. Give us strength to be lovers of God and neighbor that we could never create in our own. Lord, connect us to you, Holy Spirit, as the power, as the source of our life. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.